If you have your Bible, go ahead and open those. We're going to read two different passages of Scripture. So put one finger at Daniel chapter 7 and then the other one at John chapter 12. Uh, It's always a privilege to be here with you on Sunday mornings. Thank you for your continued faithfulness to this church. Thank you for your support. Uh, And as we saw last week, the story of the triumphal entry, that story is the convergence of three different theological so-called rivers. We saw Jesus fulfill Exodus chapter 12, and he's setting himself aside on the 10th day of Nisan as the Passover lamb. We saw Jesus fulfill Daniel chapter 9, that he is the Messiah Prince, that he he arrives in Jerusalem on the exact day predicted 500 years earlier. And then we saw Jesus fulfill Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and this king that rides in on colts of a donkey on the triumphal entry morning. He is our king. He demands to be worshipped, and he also demands to be followed, and that is our quest today. So if you have your Bible, Daniel chapter 7, I will read from verses 13 through 14, and then I will go over to John chapter 12, verse 20. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, One like the Son of Man was coming. Notice that phrase. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. John 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to the feast at the, to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, And the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27, Jesus speaks here. Now my soul has become troubled what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have, been, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. They still don't get it. They're just clueless, right? I mean, it's just amazing that God the Father could speak out of heaven and they think it was thunder and an angel. Weird. Jesus answered and said, this, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now notice the verb tense is here in verse 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate what kind of death by which he was going to die. Verse 34, the crowd then answered him. We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. Amen. Let us pray together. 
Heavenly Father, just thank you for communion, the reminder that it is for the gospel and what you have done for us. Lord, for you to call us sinners who are vastly imperfect, loved and worthy to die for, I'm not sure I understand that level of grace and love. Lord, thank you for my church. I thank you for all those that are here. I thank you for those that cannot be here that are able to tune in online. Thank you for technology and for the ability to gather together in worship. Lord, this morning, let us worship your name. But Lord, I pray that it would cause us to also follow you, our King, the one that deserves our loyalty and our commitment And Lord, I just pray that we would follow you to whatever end you call us, without fear. And Lord, that we would remain in the light of your word and on the path that your Holy Spirit provides for us. Bless your word, bless this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Today I titled my sermon, Following Our King. Following Our King. We have a king, a ruler over our life who has dominion over all parts of our life. He is a perfect king, a king who is love, who sees us, who knows us. Your king knows your inner thoughts, your insecurities, your faults, and your mistakes, and your failures. Your king knows you. He forgives you. He loves you. And he asks us, he asks you to worship him And to follow him. And what does that look like? That is our quest today. The Gospel of John, in many ways, is just a tremendous book. But as far as it is deep, it is also simple. In this book, we see that the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, that not only is our earth eternal destination changed, but our earthly life is changed as well. And despite its depth, it is magnificently simple that in John chapter 20, verse 31, it gives us the purpose for this entire book. And all of the the stories and all of the words and all of the theological truths point to this one conclusion at the end of the book. And as it is simple, but it's also profound... It is simple also in its themes. It, is, it has just a handful of themes that it unfolds in the Gospel of John. It has the theme of light and darkness, the theme of life and death, belief and unbelief, the theme of discipleship and rejection, and the theme of Jesus' deity and humanity. And these themes, these five or six themes are woven on every page of this Gospel. And what's unique about our story today is that the, all of these themes are found in our short passage Two weeks ago, we saw a story of uh, delight, of tremendous gratitude. We saw the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and how they display their gratefulness to Jesus Christ. Martha, we find her again in the kitchen, correct? But this time, she has matured. We see Mary pour a $50,000 bottle of perfume in preparation for Jesus' burial. And then we see Lazarus communicating to others the story and the identity of Christ. The lesson to us is that we all have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be grateful for. Can I get an amen to that one? So many times we look at our life, we look at the darkness, we look at the rough patches of our life, and we forego all of the blessings that God has given us. Being grateful in the present requires us to learn from the past, to look forward to the future, and to let others know of Jesus. And then last week, as I publicly confessed, 
I planned to actually go through our passage today, but I quickly realized, or actually didn't quickly, I, it kind of took me till Friday to realize just the depth of the passage of the triumphal entry, because in those, in those seven verses we see the convergence of three different theological rivers that Jesus proves He is the king over Israel in Zechariah 9.9. He proves himself to be the Passover lamb set aside on the tenth day of Nisan. And then we see him prove that he is the Messiah, the prince echoed out of Daniel chapter 9. And the predominant theme of John chapter 12 verses 12 through 19 is that he is king. And that he deserves and demands to be worshipped. And how do we worship him? Worshipping Jesus as king requires us to place the crown on his head over our entire lives. He already rules as king. But whether he rules our life as king is a different story. So we are to place the crown of his kingship over our life, and we are to worship him with pure motives, without strings attached. And whereas last week we saw us worship the king, this week we see how we should follow the king. And if you notice in your text in John chapter 12, there was, a, there was a theme of light that peppers this phrase and this passage over and over again, that we follow Christ by staying close and in the light. If you think about light itself, light. Light is very important for us to follow any path that we walk. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been walking at night in the woods, in the middle of nowhere, and then your flashlight dies. <laughs> i got a couple of nods. What's that feeling like? That you are in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, and then all of a sudden you have no light to guide your path. What is it like to stand in utter and complete darkness? I mention this TV show from time to time, and if I reference it too much, I apologize. But in college, I really liked to watch a TV show called Man vs. Wild. Now, sorry. So this, this TV show follows a man named Bear Girls as he tries to survive about four days in the wilderness. And to be honest, I became dis, a bit disillusioned with the TV show after he tried to survive in Alabama. It's a true story. And then he flies a helicopter over this valley, and it's Little River Canyon. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wait, there's a gas station about half a mile up the block, okay? So I kind of got warped on the TV show from then on. But there's, a, there's an episode where Bear Girls is exploring a mine deep underground. He's deep underground with only a torch, and then all of a sudden his torch goes out. So he's in the hollow of the earth without light, and you see the panic come over his face. You hear his heartbeat racing, and then you see him pawing at the walls of the mine, trying to find his way out. And then I remember in that episode, he, as he blindly stumbles through this mine deep in the hollow of the earth, he turns the corner, and he sees a pinprick of light. And then his complete demeanor changes drastically as he has salvation. Now there is a way out of the cave. Now there is salvation from the darkness. That is a glimpse of the world. 
the state of the world, the state of your child that does not believe in Jesus, the state of your neighbor that has never heard of Jesus, the state of your spouse that may be far from Jesus. And think about light itself. Think about the profound nature of light. What is the only way to dispel it? You can't wish it out. You can't sweep it out. You can't clap it out. The only way to get rid of darkness is with light. And Jesus is that light to the darkness of the world. The light of Christ gives us salvation, but it also helps us make sense of the world. And the people in the world kind of paw at the cave of darkness, trying to find truth, trying to find their way out, trying to find some semblance of truth and direction in this world. And Christ is the only one that can truly give answers to the darkness that we find in this place. Perhaps, though, we this morning, we see the darkness in the world, we see those that are in our life that do not know Christ Jesus, that do not have the light, and maybe we are the light bearers to them. Perhaps we are the ones appointed to take the light of God's Word and of our Christ and of our Savior to these people that are walking in utter darkness. But in order to take the light to the ends of the earth, we must follow the light. And that is our quest this morning. What does it mean to actually follow the light? So if you have your Bible, turn in John chapter 12, and we will go from verse 20 through 36. And if you could briefly look at this passage, the passage from verse 20 through 36 breaks down into three main sections. You have the call to follow in verses 20 through 26. You have the confirmation to follow in verses 27 through 33. And you have the confusion to follow in verses 34 through 36. Notice the call to follow. Notice the Greeks, they are mentioned in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to, the, to worship at the feast. Now pause right here for just a second. The Greeks, Gentiles, are here to worship at the feast of Passover. Now what does that tell you? That these Gentiles, these Greeks, are converts to the religion of Judaism. Now they are restricted to the court of Gentiles. They can't worship in the same way an ethnic Jew could, but they are converts to the religion of Judaism. And notice what they want. Verse 21. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Pause right there for just a moment. This seems to me that they want to meet uh, Michael Jordan so to speak. They want to meet the celebrity Jesus, but have no interest in surrendering to the Savior Jesus. They want to shake the hand of their person that they've been hearing about, rumors about. Now, uh, in seminary, I, I, there's a guy named Charles Ryrie, okay, and any of you have a Bible from him. And I have a thousand books from that man, okay? And I went to Dallas Theological. He retired Years before that, he was a professor there, and I was in a Baylor gym in the fitness center there, and then there was these guys talking over in the corner, and they were saying, hey guys, have you ever met this guy named Charles Riley? They were talking to me, they were talking to each other, and then they said to each other, they said, oh, this guy's sitting right behind us, and then I totally interrupted them, <laughs> so, and I said, are you Dr. Riley? And, and, I was, and I was like this, you know, and I was like, it is a pleasure to meet you, sir, okay, 
I'm sorry, he's like, who is this weirdo? Okay, <laughs> so, but that's kind of what I envision here, that these Greeks have no interest, really, in submitting to Jesus as Savior. They only want to meet the celebrity Jesus. And notice how Jesus responds. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is not a celebrity to be admired, but he is the Son of Man to be followed. Notice what he says in verse 23 again. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let's just ask the question, what is he talking about? What is the Son of Man? What is this reference, so to speak? Because we here today kind of are lost to what the significance of that phrase is. So far in the Gospel of John, Jesus has claimed to be God. He's claimed to be Yahweh. He's claimed to be Creator, Lamb of God, to be the light of the world, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the door, the good shepherd, the Son of God. And for the fifth time in the Gospel of John, he claims to be the Son of Man. The first time Jesus mentions this is in John chapter 3, and then again in John chapter 6, John 8, John 9, and in John 12. But what is the significance of Jesus being the Son of Man? The Son of Man reference in John chapter 12, verse 23, comes out of Daniel chapter 7. If you have your Bible, you can turn in there if you want to. Last week, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, and today, Jesus fills, fulfills the prophecy out of Daniel chapter 7. Now, if you're familiar with the prophecy out of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel, in that chapter, had a vision. And there are four great beasts re- representing the four great kingdoms of earth. You have the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. The last beast mentioned is the largest. And it says it has iron teeth and it tramples the three other kingdoms under its foot. And then in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, it mentions a little horn comes forth. And we know that to mean that Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, that the little horn is the Antichrist of the future who will reassemble the Roman Empire and take over the world. And then right after all of this description over all of the kingdoms of the earth, This is what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days. It was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Notice all this. Notice this. So what is the Son of Man? Let me reread verse 13. I want you to just kind of catch up with me. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all of the peoples and the nations and the men's of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I cannot emphasize the importance of Daniel chapter 7 to the understanding of the Jews in the first century to when Jesus claims to be the Son of Man. And notice what it says of the Son of Man. It says three things, that the Son of Man will be king. 
Number two, he will be king over all dominions and all people. And number three, the Son of Man's kingdom will be everlasting. But then flip back to John chapter 12, verse 34. It says, We have heard out of the law that the Christ has remained forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They are all confused. Because they know, Daniel chapter 7, that the Son of Man, who Jesus claims to be, will establish an earthly kingdom forever. And the Jews aren't dumb. Okay, I'll say it that way. They're not dumb. They know who the beast with the iron teeth is in Daniel chapter 7, early, earlier in that chapter. They understand that to be Rome. And then right after that, it says that the Son of Man will be established forever. So they're a little bit confused, and rightfully so. So they expect when Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, they expect at that very moment for Jesus to come down and to establish an earthly kingdom that lasts forever. But what they cannot see, because they lived back then, they did not understand fully the path and the plan of God, what they did not see was the distance between the mountain peaks. That Daniel chapter 7 is an already but not yet prophecy that is going to be fully fulfilled at the end of all things. I want you to think about uh, the distance between mountains. I want you to think about mountains itself. If you have uh, ever been to Colorado, then you know all people should go to Colorado. Can I get an amen to that one? All right, okay, I only got like two of them. Huh? Those are the only two that have ever been to Colorado right there, and I'm one of them. Okay, so the first time I ever went to Colorado was uh, 32, no, 22 years ago. I was 14 years old, and we went to Camp Red Cloud. If you remember that uh, trip that we used to take there, I went on the very last trip to Camp Red Cloud with those from Calvary Bible Church in the youth group. And someone, I think it was a tradition, someone had the great idea to go on like what it seemed like a 35-mile hike with elementary school kids. So I'm sitting here at 14 years old going on this hike that seemed like a marathon at like 10,000 feet in elevation, and I thought I was going to die. I remember the last quarter mile, and I was just like, really? But I remember we went to the Continental Divide. If you're not familiar with the Continental Divide, is, it's a row of mountains that every drop that is on this side of the mountain flows to the Pacific, and every drop of rain that goes that is on this side of the mountain flows to the Mississippi River. And I remember standing on top of this peak, and I saw just a row of mountains as far as the eye could see. And from a distance, those mountain peaks seemed to be right next to each other, but they were truly miles and miles and miles apart. That's what the Jewish nation in the first century do not understand. They think that the full fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 will is all happening at the same time, but they do not see the mountain peaks between the events of God. They understand the prophecy and the significance of, of Jesus claiming to be the Son of Man, that He is going to be King, that His kingdom will be everlasting. And His kingdom is everlasting. He is King in heaven. And in the future, His kingdom will be on earth, eternal. After a millennial kingdom, there will be a new heaven and new earth. But they do not understand fully the plan of God. Let's just ask, can I just ask the question, what are they in it for? What are the Jewish nation in it for? 
They hear that Jesus is the Son of Man, so they are expecting at that moment that Jesus is going to come and establish an earthly kingdom that will last forever, and he will kick out the Romans. What do they want? They want their king to be established, and number two, that they want a position of power in the earthly kingdom itself. And so imagine their shock when they hear in verse 24. So Jesus is claiming to be the Son of Man. He, they know it's an eternal dominion and kingship. And then notice their confusion. And just imagine how they feel when they hear this, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies and remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is Jesus proclaiming here? For the very first time in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells them that he will die. They do not expect him to die, but to establish an earthly kingdom. Their idea of what it means to follow Jesus is very different than Jesus' idea of what it means to follow him. Their idea of following is to get, and his idea is to give, and for us to fully surrender. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. This is Jesus' idea of what it means to follow He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Following our king requires us to deny self. Following our king requires us to deny or to die to self. This is the first public call of discipleship in the Gospel of John. But we see the theme of discipleship throughout all four Gospels. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that those who want to be his disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. That if we want to be followers of Jesus Christ, we must first deny ourselves. What does that mean? Meaning that we must surrender to our desires to our dreams, that our dreams become God's dreams, that our determinations become His determinations. Can I just pick on something really quick? There's a verse, in 30, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If we really delight ourselves in the Lord, then we, our desires will become His desires. But that is not prosperity gospel. I kind of feel like it's the same thing here. That if we deny ourselves, that is the first prerequisite to following Christ. But then notice what it says. It says, Deny yourself... Take up your cross. What does that mean? It means a follower of Christ must be willing to suffer. Must be willing to associate with an object of humiliation and to suffer for the cause. And number three, must follow Christ by, and we see in John chapter 12, by believing and walking in the light. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Allow me to just speak. If, um, if your walk with the Lord feels dry, if you feel far from God, if you are in a spiritual funk, if you are discouraged or aimless, if you feel, over time, if I can just be transparent, over time, the Christian life, you can kind of just grow weary of it and apathetic to it. I'm sure some of you can relate to that over time. 
Can I just ask you the question, if you feel far from the Lord, if you feel apathetic, then have you truly surrendered to the Lord? Have you denied yourself? Have you died to self? Are you 100% committed to Christ? You know, being, being a Braves fan is boring if you are not 100% committed to the team. The Christian life is discouraging, is aimless, unless you are 100% committed to the cause, to follow your Savior to whatever end he asks you. So how do we follow? We deny self, take up our cross, and then by believing and walking in the light. But then kind of what happens in the story, you would imagine that in verse, from verses 20 through 26, that you would kind of fast forward to verse 34 through 36 as it kind of completes what it means to follow Jesus. But in between those two, you have a confirmation of God and the Father as he confirms who Jesus is, that he is the Son of Man. Notice verse 27 as it says this, my, Now my soul, Jesus is speaking here, Now my soul has become troubled. Notice that word. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify me. Now, just a side note here. Verse 27 echoes, in my opinion, Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the word disturbed here is the Greek word terasso. It's used 17 times in the New Testament. And it means to be stirred up or to be bothered. But Jesus is not fearful of going to the cross, because fear is not of the Lord, correct? That fear of God is the Lord, but fear of anything created is not of the Lord. But that Jesus is stirred up, he is bothered. He is thinking about his imminent death. And then notice how the confirmation of Jesus being the Son of Man happens. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. And others were saying, an angel spoke to him, and Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Then notice verse 31. Now I want you to notice the time. I want you to notice the mountain ridge between two phrases in verse 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Notice the difference in time. One is present tense and one is future tense. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate what kind of death by which he was going to die. The cross of Christ pronounced judgment upon the world. And the ruler of the world, Satan, will be cast out at the end of all times. And this is where I want to camp the rest of our time. Verse 34. The crowd then answered, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? What are they expecting? I've already mentioned that. They're expecting Jesus to come and establish an earthly kingdom and overthrow the kingdom with the iron teeth. And then notice what Jesus says. This is what it truly means to follow our Lord. And so Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. If you have your notes, following our king requires us to deny ourselves, to be 100% committed, and to follow him by believing and walking in the light. What is Jesus asking them to do, and what is he asking us to do? He's asking us to surrender and to walk and to believe in the light. 
this theme of light is throughout the Bible. Think about Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Think about James chapter 1. That good things come down from the Father of lights from whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. See here, Christ himself claims to be the light. So what is light as we would understand it? If I can just put it in a nutshell, perhaps it's overly simplistic, but that light is truth. It is God's truth, whether it comes from Jesus the Christ, whether it is reflected in His Word, whether it is God the Father, that everything that has to do with God and His Word is truth. So what is He saying to those in John chapter 12, verses 35 to 36, that a true disciple must not only deny themselves, but must follow and believe and walk in the light, in truth. Imagine with me that you're walking in the woods late at night and you have a meager flashlight. Maybe you're just using your cell phone because you forgot your flashlight somewhere. And as you walk along that path in the darkness, as long as you walk within the light and the halo of the light, you are safe. But if you were to accidentally set aside your phone or your flashlight on a bench and walk into darkness, what would you feel? You would feel lost, hopeless, fearful. As long as we walk close to the light and in the halo of its brightness, we will remain safe. Following our king requires us to stay close and near to the light. I'm going to say it this way. Following our king requires us to stay close to truth. But friends, listen to me. We are, as we walk this Christian life, Oftentimes we have the light of God's word and the path that the Holy Spirit has provided for us. And so many times we are more worried about the darkness that surrounds us than the light that God provides us. We are more focused on the circumstances and the fear of the silhouettes of trees and the rustling in the bushes of our life rather than just walking and trusting in the light of God's word. If you are far from the Lord... If you do not know what it means to truly walk, if you find yourself here this morning far from the commandments of the Lord and you feel aimless and discouraged, you feel disheartened, then are you walking close to the light and the halo that His Word provides? Are you walking the path of the Holy Spirit that He has provided you to go? Are you far from truth? For His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is King over all. Not just over all dominions of people, but over every part of our life. And He has a plan for our life. Let us not worry about the steps that God has not provided for us. Let us not worry about the darkness that we cannot see and the plans of tomorrow that God has not shown. But let us focus on staying the path of the Spirit of God and staying close and near to truth. Because only when we set down the flashlight of God's word will we find ourselves in the woods, far from the Lord, discouraged in his heart and wondering how we got so far from him. Following Christ requires us to stay close to his word. In my application this morning, I'm just going to ask you three simple questions. If you truly want to be a follower of Christ, maybe this morning you've never begun the process of truly 
believing in him, and maybe you're just kind of checking this Christian thing out, you don't really know what it means to be a Christian or a follower, or maybe this morning you're a Christian, you've been one for a long time, but you kind of don't really know where to go, that you're kind of lost in the midst of the woods and the darkness and the sin that surrounds you, or that you're hopeless in the midst of the darkness around you. Then my first question for each of us this morning, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or whether you are not, my question is, is this, question number one is, have you denied and died to self? You cannot follow Christ without denying self. Without being 100% committed to the cross of Christ, you cannot truly follow him to the, the extent he asks. But some of you might be asking me this question, well, how, do I, how can I tell if I die to myself, if I have truly surrendered to the Lord? Simple. Is your life yours or is it God's? Do you think about your plans or God's plans? Do you invest your money or God's money? Do you daydream about your plans or do you think about God's plans and God's dreams? Do you ever take a moment, do we ever take a moment in the midst of our day and ask the Lord, just go to the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do today? What do you want? That is a sign of what it means to die to self. So this is what I did this week in response to question number one. I took a sticky note. And I just asked, I just kind of wrote on that little sheet of paper, it said, Lord, what do you want? What do you want from me today? Setting myself aside, if I truly want to follow Christ, if I really want to walk the path of the Holy Spirit, if I really want to stay within the realm of His light, then I must ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me today? I have my plans, but what are your plans? Question number two is a, is a successor of question number one. It says, if you have denied self then do you walk in the light? Are you living a life within the parameters of God's word? So many times in the Christian life, the darkness becomes enticing. And we can find ourselves setting aside the lamp of the word of God and wandering towards the woods into darkness, into sin. Do you walk in the light? Are you close to God's word? Are you living within the parameters of his commands? And then question number three is this. Are you worried about what you cannot see? Are you worried about what you cannot see? God only gives us a couple steps in front of us. He does not show us the whole path. But so much we are so worried about the future rather than just trusting God in the present. We worship a king who is sovereign ruler over all. He is our savior. He is our creator. He is the lamb of God. He is the savior of the world. He is the son of God and he is the son of man. And he is king over all dominions. He's king over every area of our life. My question for us today is will you follow him? Will you follow him? Will you spit away all of the selfishness in your life? Will you get rid of what holds you down, all the encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles us? And will you run with endurance the race that is set before you, fixing your eyes upon the truth, upon Christ Jesus? Will we follow our Savior to whatever end he calls us? Following Christ by walking in the light of truth. Before I close very quickly, if you are far from the Lord... 
you've never trusted him, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, if you do not know who Jesus truly is, if this sermon seemed like, whoop, over my head, then he gives you the gift of eternal life by faith, that if you were to believe in him, that you shall be saved. But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you've never believed, then believe in him, and you shall be saved. And here in just a moment, we will close with the last song, and the prayer partners will be coming forward. They will be up on the front pews. If you would like to pray with somebody or speak with somebody about the gospel or about anything here at Calvary Bible Church. And just one last thing, if you've never been baptized, if you've never publicly made a profession of faith through baptism, I would encourage you to do so. Speak with me afterwards, and I will tell you how. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gospel that you give us and that you have granted to us and that you have gifted to us. Lord, I just pray that we would trust in you if we have never believed in you as our Savior, that we would take the opportunity today to come before you and to pray and to seek your face and to believe in you. And Lord, I pray for those this morning. I I guarantee you that there are some of us that feel far from you, that feel like they are living life in the darkness of the woods of life, that they have sins surrounding them, and they have no hope of finding the path that you have given to them in their life, in the light that you provide through your word. Lord, I pray for those people this morning, that you would come to them and you would convict our hearts, that we would repent, and that we would correct our lives and get back on path. I thank you for the grace that you give us. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you um, just for how they love and how they care and how they're generous with their time and with their resources. Thank you for everyone here. And thank you for the people that are first-time visitors. I pray that they would feel welcome. Lord, bless the lunch afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen.